Application is the key. Application is the key. The Word of God is powerful, but that doesn't mean it's powerful to you. There are strong medications. Sometimes you'll need to take them. Sometimes you're struggling and you need something that's got some punch to knock it out. You have to be careful because it can also knock you out. And uh, you can save those kind of medications and put them on a shelf in your bathroom. You probably shouldn't keep them around, but people do. And you could say to me, I have strong, powerful medications in my house. But actually, they're not very powerful unless they get inside of you. The Word of God is stronger than anything you'll ever swallow. But it'll only work when it's inside of you. Let me say this again. Application is the key. God's Word can change your life for the better. But that doesn't mean it will work for you. If you've ever had the experience like I have of putting together a baby's crib or a dresser or a bed and have those Phillips screwdrivers in tight spots and after it seems like a hundred turns, your hand, your wrist starts to hurt so badly, it seems like a miracle from heaven to have a power drill with that perfect little screwdriver bit. And all of a sudden it's just a little zzz and zzz. And, and then you're done. You can have a garage full of power tools, but they're only potential power until you put them to work. The power of God is real and works, but it won't work for you until you put it to work. Application is the key. Do you hear what I'm saying this morning? If the bound copy of the Bible was all that was needed then every motel and hotel room would be in this country would be a godly, holy place. But they're not, even though there is a Gideon Bible in almost every dresser drawer. They're not because application is the key. Hear what I'm saying this morning. We've got a powerful God. We have a powerful Word. There's a powerful Spirit, but it may do nothing for you if you do not apply them, if they don't get inside you. The Bible gives us a story in, in uh, Kings chapter 5, 2 Kings chapter 5, about a man by the name of Naaman. Naaman was a wonderful man. He was a mighty warrior, the army commander. The Bible calls him honorable or a man of valor, and few men had that designation. Yet Naaman had a problem called leprosy. It's more than just a stomachache, more than just a sickness. Leprosy was a slow, gruesome death sentence that will eventually separate the disease from everyone they love. Ancient leprosy began as a small red spot somewhere on the body, in the skin. Before too long, those spots would get bigger and start to turn white with sort of a shiny or scaly appearance. Pretty soon, the spots would spread over the whole body and the hair would begin to fall out. First from the head and then even from the eyebrows. And then things get worse. Fingernails and toenails become loose. They start to rot and eventually fall off. Then the joints of fingers and toes begin to rot and fall off piece by piece by piece. Gums begin to shrink and they can't hold the teeth in anymore. So each one of them is lost. Leprosy keeps eating away at your face until literally the nose, your palate, 
and even the eyes rot, and the victim wastes away until death. What's worse is there's a separation at some point. At some point, you cannot be around those you love the most. At some point, there's a last hug. At some point, there's a last kiss. At some point, work's over, and you now have to live in a separate house or a distant spot and can at the most wave and see those you love. That's where you'll stay until you die. This is a serious situation. Incurable. A slow situation that's literally eating the victim while the days tick by. We're talking about a horrible thing. Naaman must have been willing at some point to do anything. I don't care what it will be. I'll do it if it'll work. It's incurable, but I'm looking for a cure. It can't be fixed, but I'm looking for a fix. And when the word comes through his house, bubbling up from a little captive servant girl, that if he could only get to the prophet, the prophet of Israel, he'll be healed. Sure enough, Naaman is in short order, gathering abilities to go there, beseeching his king of Syria. There's a time right now when tensions were low and he could maybe travel. Got all the money he could, all the gold, all the clothing, all the things he could think. If I could pay for this, if I could offer this, I'll offer everything I have. What's the benefit to me as soon as I can no longer work? I can no longer be me. I can no longer lead an army. So Naaman eventually finds himself outside of Elisha's front door. He hears a message from the servant. Go. Wash seven times in the Jordan River. Your flesh will be restored and you'll be clean. Now, I want to push the pause button. You know that spot you have on your controller? Right here. The story. I'm going to pause the story. Right there on Elisha's front porch. And I've been there before. And maybe you have too. Naaman thought, I know how this is going to work out. He's had a lot of time, travel time, getting there. I have it all figured out. I've got the plan. I can see it. This is how it's going to be. He will come out to me. That's respect. The prophet will stand. That's dignity. He'll call in the name of the Lord his God. That's pretty quick. He'll strike his hand over the place. That's reasonable and maybe it's exciting too. And I'll be healed. This is kind of an in and out sort of thing. I'll say thank you. I'll give him some the money. I'll leave. I'll be, I'll be over Naaman had a plan. He had an idea. This is how I see it happening. And yet, here he is instead. A servant, a household servant, gives him a message, dips seven times, no explanation, and he goes back in the house. Naaman has frustration, anger, disappointment, refusing to listen, disillusion, has fleshly reasoning. Oh God! How often I've had it when I've thought, I've prayed, i believed, I've done this. It should work out this way, and yet it doesn't. I have stood with Naaman on Elisha's porch, as it were, and maybe you have too, wondering, Lord, where are you, and how is this? This is not your plan, and, and this is not how it's supposed to work. So here's the question. What are you going to do? And the answer is, get in the water. Naaman, get in the water. You want to obey and be healed or be right? Oh, I feel like the Holy Ghost, I pray, is doing a work beyond my ability to get your attention. The longer you talk about it, 
how disappointed by the way it didn't work out. The longer you talk about how God's ways aren't lining up with your expectations, the longer you talk about how the, your frustrations with the prophet, the longer you stay sick and dying. Can the church hear me today? The longer you talk about it, the longer you're frustrated about it, the longer you explain all the reasons why it's working out, you stay sick and dying. But this is embarrassing. This is humiliating. This defies reason. There's no boat ramp. No one's, no one's mowed up to the edges. This is brush. This is dirty. This is muddy. This is muck. Look, this is no recognition from the man of God. No respect. A servant, it turns out, not a very good one in the rest of the story. He's the one bringing the message. And it doesn't make any sense. If a dip is a solution, why can't I go back home and clean in bigger waters and dip there? And why multiple times? Why not two or four or ten? Why? What's this seven about? And don't you know you can't wash off leprosy? Don't you think I've tried this before? I've tried washing. The embarrassment, the humility, that's the part that really oh, got at him. I had it. An older man tell me some time ago about how he wanted to get the Holy Ghost. We were meeting at a, 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 a hair salon that the lady, yes, I know, it's great, isn't it? It's a bad start. But she owned it, and after it was closed, she would open it up for a Bible study. So the nearby pastor and I would meet there, and there would you know, her family and others, would, as she would talk to her the day, it'd be 8, 10, 14 people for a Bible study. It was really a small group, but uh, whatever you want to call it. So we had a wonderful time. And her father-in-law came, and he was very um, dignified, very respectable uh, businessman. And he watched some of this craziness of people getting the Holy Ghost. I mean, you're right here. You know, you can see there's the place where the ladies get their hair dried over here, and there's a sink where they wash their hands. You can sit in the barber chair. We're, we're in that area. We're here. And people are praying and crying and snotting and all kinds of things, and, you know, finally getting the Holy Ghost. And he takes me to the side and says, Scott, i got to figure it out. I said, you do? He said, yeah. He said, I, I want to get the Holy Ghost. He says, here's how I'm, gonna, here's how I'm hoping it will work out. I am, I'm thinking I'm going to go fishing. And when I'm on that dock down there, I'm just going to stand there, and then God will give me the Holy Ghost, and I'll come back and tell everybody. <laughs> because, you see, that way you retain your dignity. There's no crying. There's no praying. People getting around you. It's all, you know, just nice and perfect. But, unfortunately, God doesn't do it like that, does he? He doesn't do it like, we've got plans. Look, God, I've got plans. How it's going to work out. And Naaman's saying, this is embarrassing. Where's the dignity? Where's the respect? What am I going to do here? This is not right. And it doesn't make any sense. My reason. God gave me reason. He told me try spirits. He told me not to be foolish. There's reason. I have reasoning. That doesn't, that doesn't stand up to reason. Where will reason sit with me here? Naaman, application is the key. I'm telling you, name of the day, get in the water. Get in the water. Go through the brush. Get it, walk in the mud and the muck. You may not even see where you're stepping. You don't even know what it, it's a dirty river. You can't see anything. That's okay. Here's your choices, Damon. Do you want to be right or do you want to be healed? Do you want to be offended or do you want to be healed? Do you want someone to understand your position 
or do you want to be healed? Is there anybody in the building that's hearing the word of the Lord today? I am speaking in the Holy Ghost to your life. Here are the words I'm saying. One step of application is worth miles of understanding that's never applied. One step of submission to God's way is better than hours of argument about the things that are not right, who's not right, what you wanted, how you prayed, how your plan's not working out. One little step of submission to God's way. One, can you hear what I'm saying, church? One little step of submission to God's way. There's worth hours of reasoning and argumentation and frustration. Somebody, hear the word of the Lord. God is speaking to your life right now. That's the word of God for your moment right now in Jesus' name. Oh, come on, clap your hands to the Lord, all your church. You ask God to speak to your life. He is talking to you this moment. Come on, somebody. Reach out and get a hold of the word of God and play it to your mind. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. How can it be that believers today know more than ever and yet experience little spiritual power, activity, or miraculous? How could that be that we know so much and receive so little? How can it be that you and I have such access to libraries of information and reams of knowledge and books and this catalog of things we can learn and grow and yet have so little of experience of the supernatural, so little of the activity of the Holy Ghost. Why is that? In the medical world, there's a phrase called non-compliance. It's a big fancy word. It means when you get medical advice, but you won't listen. Non-compliance. This is what I've read. It's what I've studied. They won't take the medication that they're prescribed. They're not going to exercise or diet. They don't get the test the doctor ordered, and they're not coming back for that follow-up visit. It's called non-compliance. They go and hear, they talk, they, they get the direction, they get a script, but they're not going to follow that advice. Poor medication compliance is to blame for at least 125,000 deaths every year. At least 10% of hospital visits and 23% of nursing home admissions are because of poor medication compliance, non-compliance. They're not doing it. They're not listening. They're not following. They're not taking it. They're not, they're, they want help, they say, but they won't follow through. They hear, but they don't do. 36 million U.S. adults still smoke cigarettes, even though they know better. Almost 90% of people with type 2 diabetes are overweight or obese. Patients that won't take the medications prescribed by their own doctors cost the U.S. healthcare system more than $290 billion. Doctors can become very frustrated because patients will talk about the changes they need to make, but do nothing about it, and then come back in a year with the same problem and talk about it again. I've heard of pastors that think that way too. Do you have the problem? And I think I have an answer. And then they come back again and say, I still have the problem. What have you done about it? Well, I'm, I'm thinking about doing something about it. 
I've heard of parents that have felt that way too. Kid says, I'm going to, I'm going to, I need to do this, I need to do that. Okay, great. Can I help you? No, I'm, I might listen later. I'll listen eventually. I, do you understand that there is a great God who knows what you need, who has his hand on your life, yet it may do nothing for you until you get in the water. There's something about the Holy Ghost obedience and saying, Lord, I'm going to go beyond my... Here's reason. Sit over here, reason. i got to get in the water. Yeah, I can't see. I can't. It's dark. It, it may not make much sense, but it's God's call on my life. I'm going to be obedient. Oh, Jesus. Jesus didn't seem to value listeners very much, did he? Here's the verses I have. Luke chapter 6. Here's my verses. Luke chapter 6, verse 46. Jesus didn't seem to give much value to listeners. He had listeners, and you would think he'd have been more kind to his listeners, but he wasn't. Do we have that verse back there? Luke chapter 6, verse 46. So why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? Ooh. That, that's Jesus Christ saying that to you and to me. Why do you keep saying I'm your Lord, but you don't do what I'm saying? You don't do what I'm saying. I'm talking to you, but you're not doing what I'm saying. I'm speaking to you. I'm saying get in the water, but you're not doing what I'm saying. And then verse 49, he says it like this. The man who hears doesn't practice or doesn't obey what I'm telling him to do is like a man that built his house on the sand or without a foundation right on the ground. When that flood comes, it's going to collapse and fall. And like the King James Version says, and great will be the fall of it. It's better for you to take one step toward God in submission to his ways than to have a thousand scripture references, reams of notes, folders of information, and zero application. Do you hear what I'm saying, church? I love the word of God. His word is powerful. But we don't need any more words of God to be obedient to the word of God. James said it like this in chapter 1. James said, be a doer of the word. Don't just listen. You have to do what it says. Otherwise, you're just fooling yourself. If you listen but don't obey, it's like seeing your face in a mirror. You see it. You walk away. You forget what you look like. But look instead to the perfect law of liberty that sets you free. Do what it says. Don't forget what you heard. You'll be blessed in your doing, your action, your application. You're getting into the water. Someone say, get into the water. Come on, say, get into the water. Study how to swim. Learn all about it. Learn all the things you should learn. But nothing beats getting into the water. Nothing beats getting into the water. There's a call of the Lord on our lives. And there is a call of this world of wanting to know more, wanting to learn more, wanting to understand more. There's a, sometimes of a need of us to find an answer. And the Lord's saying, I, I've got an answer for you, and it's not popular. It's called get into the water. And you can say, Lord, this is not good water. I've got justifiable reasons. I can tell you very good reasons why this is a bad idea. And you're, and you're talking to yourself. Because the prophet's servant's back in the house. It's just you out there by yourself. What are you going to do when that happens? 
It's a incurable disease, Naaman. Why are you angry at God? You're the one in trouble. Why are you filled with rage and you're the one that needs help? Why is it that you and I can be frustrated and God says, I've got an answer for your life. Do you want to stay frustrated or do you want to be healed? Do you, you want to be offended or do you want to be healed? Do you want to be right or do you want to be healed? Do you want to be delivered or, or do you want to change your life or just find out what your position is? How long? What day will it be? Tell me this. What day is good for you? I love to hear that phrase. What day is good for you? That's usually someone saying, I need to come out to your house or we need to do it, take care of something at your house. We need to do an, an event or work or fix something. What day is good for you? I feel like this in the Holy Ghost. Come now, let's reason together. What day is good for you? What, tell me what day will it be when you lay your arguments down on the altar? What, what day will that be? What, what day will it be when you let your resistance melt like water in your heart and say, Lord, whatever you want in my life, I give it to you? What day will it be when you say, I'm not going to sit here any longer. I'm going to get into the water. What day, you tell me, is it the day when all the lights are green and everything's perfect? Will it be a Sunday night? Will it be a Sunday morning? What day will it be when you say, Lord, I will listen to you. I'll be obedient. I'll do what you want. I'll get into the water. What day will that be? The truth of the matter is, it will never come if you don't change what you're doing now. I hate to say it, but if you continue like this, you'll never change. You'll always be the person wondering what's happening at the front because you're not a part of it. You'll always wonder, what are they doing when they're praying and God's working because you're not a part of it. When will you get into the water? Somebody call on the Lord for me right now. Somebody call on Jesus right now. Somebody call on the Lord right now. The Bible says it like this. Today is the day of salvation. If you will hear his voice and not harden your hearts. Today is a day. I'd like to give you a lot more. I really would. But what if that's all the Lord has? What if, what if that's all God has for you? What more do you and I need to walk with the Lord, to be obedient, to do what God wants us to do, to put our hands up? You see, there's something different about, and pastors been talking about this a lot, theory versus people that are involved, application and doing it. You can theory, theorize all day about how the church should work, about how evangelism should work, about how this should happen, how that should happen. But theories don't get anything done. That's only a beginning point then there has to be some action. The Bible does not say that Jesus sat on the couch and invited people to come in. It says it like this. He went about doing good. That's an active Jesus. <laughs> That's an out and about Jesus. That's early in the morning Jesus. That's in marketplace Jesus. That's talking and touching and seeing and, and, and putting his hand on them and, and, and speaking and rebuking and encouraging. That's a Jesus that's out and about doing it. That's the Jesus we serve. He's a God of action, not a God of inaction. He's a God of, of, of putting the, f the feet into the water, not talking about it. And I feel the Holy Ghost speak so strongly today to my life and yours. You need to listen to the Lord. You need to put your feet in the water and say, God, I surrender all of this to you. I don't understand how this part works. There's a lot of things I don't understand. There's more that I don't understand than I do. But here's what I think I do know. He is God and Scott's not God. 
I've got that part right correctly. And hopefully, <laughs> if I get that mixed up, then I'm in trouble. There's a lot more trouble. And so if he's the almighty God, then he can speak the word and I can obey it. And he can do what is unexpected, what's not possible, what's not literal in my mind. He is a powerful God looking to work in your life and mine. And until you step into the water, you won't experience it. Until you step into the water, you'll miss it. Oh, Lord, I feel the Holy Ghost calling. I feel the Holy Ghost speaking. I feel the Holy Ghost doing a work in our life. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Jesus. Church, let's pray right now. Take a moment right now, would you? Lord, I love you. I feel your spirit in this house. I hunger for you. I desire your word to do a work. Come on, somebody, right now. Reach out and touch the Lord this minute, this moment, right now. This moment, right now. Yes, Lord Jesus. I receive it, Lord. I receive your word for my life. I receive your word for my life. Thank you, Jesus. 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 Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. I've been in church a long time. Matter of fact, I don't know when I have not been in church. I think mom brought me to church when I was two weeks old. So I can't think of not being in church. I got the Holy Ghost when I was five. And that was a, a couple years ago. At least a couple years ago. I, I've been around a lot of things. And you know what I've heard sometimes? I've heard about inconsistencies in leaders, in churches, in people. And the arguments are hard to defeat. But when the, all the inconsistencies are laid out about how they've done this and they've not done that and this church has not done this way and this person didn't do me that, what's done at the end of that? You know what's at the end of that? It's just a bitter road. It's just frustration. It's hurt. It's darkness. And the question still rings out. It rings out. Get in the water. Are you going to just hold on to your, all of your paperwork of your inconsistencies, the list, the checklist in your mind? I've heard people talk about all the hypocrites in this church or that church. I've, I've heard it. I've heard the conversation. And they might even be right. So what's at the end of the story? At the end of the story is horrible sadness. It's distance from God. It somehow doesn't produce a closer relationship to God after they get done making a beautifully recent argument about inconsistencies and, 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 and hypocrites. So what's the, what's the answer that rings through all time? Get in the water, Naaman. Get in the water. I've heard people talk about all the reasons and justifiable reasons and why this didn't work and that's not right and, and I don't understand what, how this is even supposed to be right. Is it even God's way? What are we going to do with a prophet that doesn't come to the door? What are we going to do with a word that doesn't make any sense? What are we going to do with a guy who doesn't give any respect or really even more direction? The, the, the choice is still in your hands and my hands. I can be frustrated. I can say, Lord, it's not working like I wanted it to work. This is not how I thought it would work out. Or we can get into the water. I'm going to get into the water and trust God to do something so great 
that it doesn't even make sense. Here's what's crazy. I don't know that Naaman was doing so great in the water. I don't know that he was there saying, oh, this is God. This is wonderful. I'm believing. He was just being obedient. I'm not sure he was all convinced in his heart. I just know he's saying, this is what he said to do. I'm going to go and do it. I'm going under. I'm going under seven times. I don't care if it's dirty. I don't care if it's mucky. I don't care if I can't see. I don't care if no one explain why. I'm just going to go under. And he comes up clean. There's something beautiful about being obedient to the Lord even when you can't lay it out on paper why you are. What a powerful God we serve that can work through anything, yet he works through simple obedience, through the door of obedience and submission to him. Through that door comes understanding and transformation. I've heard people convince me, or try to at least, and talk to me. Scott, you don't understand. I have been so far from God, and I've done so many bad things. Here's my plan. I'm going to first get better and get my life together, and then I'm going to come back to church. Ask me how that turns out. Never do they ever come back to church. How ridiculous is it to say, let me get clean first so I can get in the water that's supposed to clean me. Let me get leprosy out so I can go get healed of leprosy. Let me go get better so I can go find the God that makes me better. What in the world? How long will you continue? The Bible says, halt between two opinions. If God is God, will you serve God? Or are you going to serve your own conscience and ideas, imagination, and thoughts that rail against God? Mm, I hear a phrase. It's a simple one. Get in the water, Naaman. Get in the water. Just get in the water. Trust God. He'll work it out. He's got a plan. He's got something that's so... Think about the result of this one. It didn't happen even like I thought it would happen. Or even Naaman's best. I'll be healed. He wasn't just healed. No. The Bible said his skin became like the skin of a little child. Just all those wounds from war, all the calluses, all the scars, all the things he'd gone through. God does so much better than just going back to your best. He's got a best beyond your best. He's got a best beyond your best. I love that. That's the hand of the Lord. Who in the world would ever think it's reasonable to say, I'm going to restore this two-cabinet desk, and when I get done restoring it and cleaning it up, it'll be restored to a four-cabinet desk. You can't restore it to something that's better than it was before. No one can restore a 60-whatever-5 Chevy to becoming a 2018 Chevy. You can't, you can't restore it to what it's not. Yet God can. What you think God can do, God says, oh, no, I've got so much more for you than that. I've got more than just making it better. I've got new life to breathe into you. I've got literally life to give you. Will you please get in the water? I've got life to breathe into your situation. What is darkness to you? I am light. What is a cave in your existence? I am the light. I've got the power to put in your situation. Come on, somebody. Oh, stand with me if you would right now. Yes, Lord Jesus. Yes, yes, Lord Jesus. You're in this place. You're greater than my best, Lord. You're greater than my words, Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.
Oh, Jesus. Let me tell you the worst thing I've ever heard in the Bible, ever heard in the Bible. There's a guy, his first name is Marcus. And Marcus, I'm going to tell him, I'm going to say Marcus has a, made a really stupid decision. Marcus is better known as King Agrippa. Marcus was there. He heard the impassioned speech and testimony of this strange prisoner named Paul who told him about the work of God and the handiwork of God and how Paul's life was transformed from a hater of this way to a follower of Jesus. Marcus heard the whole thing and he was a familiar um, man with Jewish history and law and he knew these things and they sparked in his mind memory every time Paul would talk about an Old Testament character or story it would just pop in his mind he knew that Paul wraps it up as always in the Bible they did with a call to action you know that ever notice that the Bible they didn't wrap it up with think about this there was a call he said you know oh king these things weren't done in a corner you, you, you know this is true. And King Agrippa said, almost, thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Almost. There was a desire to wait and for a convenient time. We'll, we'll hear the another time on this matter. We'll hear another, I'll get you, we'll get you, we'll get a calendar out, someone figure it out. But another, we'll get you another time. Oh, Marcus, let me tell you, you'll never hear it again. You will never hear this man ever again. That was your chance, your time. You, maybe, maybe God sent to him another disciple. Maybe some young girl worked with his, around him and spoke with the Holy Ghost. Or maybe some guy was near him and said, but you'll never hear Paul ever again. History tells us that that, that king quickly fell into trouble with the Roman government. And he was moved someplace else. And Paul went to another part of the map. That past never crossed again. That another day never came. You'll never find a convenient time on a calendar. There is no convenient time. There is no tomorrow. It doesn't really exist. There's no other day than this is the day. Today is the day of salvation. If you will hear his voice and harden not your hearts. As in the provocation when they died in the wilderness. Marcus, what are you talking about? Another time, a better time. I'll, I'll get you another day. We'll do this another time. You'll never do this another time. I, I, I'm not sure what is in our hearts and minds. If there's a better service or the better time and life is different. But I'm talking to you right now in the Holy Ghost. Get into the water. Obey the Lord. Whatever the water is. And you know what's crazy about it? It's not the same for all of us. How foolish would it be for Naaman to go back home and say, I know the cure for leprosy. I got it. It's a recipe. You got to go to this spot. You got to go in the water. You got to dip seven times. Come out, you'll be better. No, it's not. God knows the water for your life and for mine. God knows the thing you got to do and the thing I got to do. God knows obedience for you. And I have some point 
At some place, I've got to lay it down and say, Lord, let the hardness of my heart melt. Let my frustrations be gone. Let the way I thought it would work out, let it be. I surrender that to you and you take it in the spirit. Let all my conversation and reasoning and justifiable mentality, let it all be surrendered to you, God. You do what you do in my life. I'm going to get into the water and trust God for the results. Come on, someone, right now. This is the moment. This is the power of God in this place. Reach out right now. Touch the Lord as He is passing by. Reach out right now. He's calling on you. This message is for you. This is a word of God for your life and for my life. People are coming to the altar because God's telling them, it's time to get into the water. There's others right now saying, Lord, I have all my resistance. I lay it down right now. I'm inviting you this moment right now. Come to the altar and pray. Pray at your seat. Do what it takes. Somebody, step into the water. Step into the water. Come on, church. It's time right now. Let's touch Jesus. Let's touch Jesus. Somebody pray. Somebody pray. Reach the Lord for those around you. Say, Lord Jesus, touch those that I'm sitting next to. Let the Holy Ghost move in their life. This is a message of God for your life. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. I surrender, Lord Jesus. I surrender to you, Lord Jesus.